0: It's time for the Chip Race! Hello and welcome to the chip race, still deep in makeup to our generous backers at Unibet Poker. I'm your host David Lappin, and this week Dara and I are coming to you from Scotland where we're about to play the Unibet UK Tour Glasgow. Later on we'll be sitting down with EPT champion, WPT champion, FTOPS main event champion, WSOP runner-up and one-drop final tableist Neil Farrell. We also chat to poker player and blogger Cat Arnsby. Ian will have all the news including the results from last week's Unibet Open in Copenhagen. Darren and I will talk to you about set mining, but first... Blogs. Lots of poker players start blogs, but few persist with it. Dara, you've been writing your blog for almost 10 years. What has given you the impetus and, say, motivation to keep writing?
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably changed over the years. Like, when I started writing my blog, it was c- pretty much just a kind of a dear diary blog. I was, you know, a starting poker player, m- completely unknown. Um, and the only r- like real reason was just to kind of keep a diary and. Um, track my progress as I as I came as a poker player, as it were. Um, but after a while, I kind of realized that other people were reading my blog, because it was up on the internet. Um, and people started talking to me about it at tournaments and so on. And then as I moved into sort of being a professional and and being um, better known, at least in Ireland, um, it was something which I was aware of that a lo- now a lot of people were reading it. So that was part of the motivation then at that point. It was like, well, people are actually interested in this. and. Um, uh I had to put more thought into what I was writing rather than just whatever was popping through my head. You know, I had to ask myself, is this actually interesting to people that aren't me?
0: And did the style of it change when you realized it had an audience?
1: Yeah, the style of it definitely changed. I mean, I, it, 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 it was more sort of confessional and self-indulgent, let's say, when I didn't realize that uh, anybody was reading it. And then when I, once I realized that people were reading it, and I, and I kind of found out the hard way that it's very easy to offend people on the blog as well. Um, if you talk, you know, um, Critically about how they play a hand or whatever that, you know, there's a very good chance that person even if they don't read it, somebody who knows them will read it and tell them about it afterwards. Um, so yeah, you, it in s- in so in some ways the blog becomes less honest, I guess, in, in 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 that sense, in that you're sort of like more aware of the effect it could have on other people. Um, but at the same time, I've always tried over the ten years to. Um, write about my you know not not to fake anything it's, it's 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 always genuinely what i feel at the time and there might be certain stuff i don't say because you know it, it might it might offend somebody or, or rub them up the wrong way but anything i do put in there is always stuff that i genuinely believe
0: And do you feel like it it evolved beyond that? You know, it evolved, obviously, from a confessional Dear Diary to uh, something you were aware people were listening to. As you became, uh, dare I say, and I I hope you take this the right way, but, you know, you become a better writer. I I know myself, as you get older, as you get more practice at writing, do you feel like you you experimented with different styles or do you feel like it kind of went in a different direction as it went on?
1: Yeah, I mean, style is something that I paid absolutely no attention to at the start because c- uh, as i said I, I did think it was just a diary but then once people started reading it um maybe i thought a little bit more style and then when people actually started commenting on the on the on the writing style itself um and you know people would say oh i like this i like the fact that you do this or maybe i don't like the fact that you do that and that and you, and you take all of that sort of constructive criticism on board and that d- and that even perhaps subconsciously does affect your your writing style going forward it's never the case that I sit down and sort of like try to write a piece of art because, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's just a poker blog. Um, and, you know, I tend to just write what comes out and then look at it afterwards and, m- and maybe make some changes and go, well, that piece doesn't really work or that piece needs, a, need needs to be polished a bit more. Um, but for the most part, you know, I- it's not like I'm trying to write a novel. I'm basically just r- writing a description of or an opinion. Um like there are lots of different pieces these days, you know. Sometimes you give your opinion on something. Sometimes it's just a trip report and you're talking about the people that you met. Sometimes you're talking about hands. Um uh, so there's a kind of a diversity of topics.
0: And which of those do you seem you do you feel clicks most with an audience? Uh, I d- I imagine the personal pieces maybe ring truer for people or or maybe the hand analysis is more what the poker guy wants.
1: I think you have different audiences. I think, I, th- I think almost every blog I've written, at least one person has come up and said it's one of their favorite blogs that I've ever done, and another person has come up and said they didn't like it. So... I I've kind of realised that there are different audiences out there. There are people who like the technical hand analysis, and and but to be honest, they're probably in a minority. There are people who like the sort of colourful um, anecdotes, or but I, I'd say if there if there's one thing that probably more people are interested in, it's probably the opinion pieces. They tend to be the pieces that sort of strike home, particularly if if I'm expressing an opinion which is widely held but not widely expressed, um, by say recreational players um and then there are there have been pieces where i put in sort of personal stories f- uh, from before poker and they do seem to s- strike a real chord with people um people kind of come up and you know they i think they enjoy the sort of personal confessional uh, thing um maybe more than you know um what your tree betting frequency is
0: sure and uh, even even though i think i've written about half the number of blogs you have over roughly the same period i do have that same experience where people might come up to me who I don't really know, or m- maybe I've met once or twice, and in an absolutely lovely way. And I don't, I, I don't mean this from a, an arrogant point of view, but in a really nice way. They feel like they know me, and I, I don't know them, but th- th- they feel like they've made some connection because maybe something rang true. That's quite a nice experience. I think that's feedback. a wonderful experience. And actually,
1: yeah. coming back to your question about motivation, I think that became a motivation going forward, um, as more and people read my blog. Like when I obviously when I played tournament in Ireland, uh, I, I, I would know a lot of the players, but. When I travel abroad, I wouldn't necessarily know anybody, but uh, it, I reached a certain point with my blog that I literally couldn't go anywhere in the world, that at least one person wouldn't come up and say, I read the blog, and then they start talking to you about um, you know what they'd read there or the stuff. So it, it was a great way to connect with people, um, and otherwise, like a lot of my trips abroad would have been a lot lonelier, I would say. Um, the blog is a great way to connect with people. I also think... like. If you 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 have to basically enjoy writing. Like writing is something that I've done for 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 all of my adult life. Before before poker, I wrote about um, running, and I had a uh, I had an ultra running blog, and I wrote pieces for various ultra running magazines. Um, before that, I wrote about other things that that, that 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 held my interest, like David Bowie or whatever. So it's something I've done at every point in my life. I've written about whatever was important to me at that point.
0: Yeah. Well, look, I think that's great advice out there for, for for people who might want to start a blog or if you're writing a blog and you're finding it hard to keep it going. I think one of the great things you can do is just write because you love writing. It's the most important thing.
1: Absolutely. I agree. And, and it would be great to see more poker blogs out there from a wider diversity of people. I, to be honest, I'm not particularly interested in reading other professionals' blogs because I know what it's like to be a professional poker player um i i i'm much more I- i'd be much more interested in reading a recreational players blog a tournament director's blog a dealer's blog you know somebody who can t- who can tell me something or have a different perspective from my own
0: with that in mind uh, do you have any blog writers you like to read
1: yeah there's the d- first of all i would say there are far less poker blogs out there than than used to be but I think maybe the overall quality has improved because like I think maybe 5 or 6 years ago a lot of poker players maybe chasing sponsorship deals or whatever felt that they had to have a blog and they kind of showed that they were just you know d- dialing it in and they didn't really enjoy the writing process but I think the people who are out there now writing blogs you I think the great thing about it is there there's more diversity now there are more recreational players who write blogs like uh, off the top of my head, Carl Parish writes a really good blog. Um, yes, excellent. Uh, f- and and it's sort of from the recreational or aspirational um, viewpoint, which is not our viewpoint. You know, we we, we are almost jaded professions at this mm-hmm. stage. We can't we can't write realistically about that, but somebody like Carl can. Similarly, a, a, a friend of ours, Willie Elliot, writes a really good blog, and Willie um, actually writes brilliant opinion pieces as well. Willie's a great man at, at organising. Uh, his thoughts and criticisms and, and, and delivering a really good opinion piece. Um, Cat Arnsby also writes a really uh, good blog, and I think Cat's appeal, apart from the fact that she, she's also kind of coming from the sort of microstakes b- background, but Cat's actually a really, really good writer as well, um, and that comes across, and so she, she's very engaging uh, to read.
0: We're joined now by the fabulous Cat Arnsby. Uh, Cat, welcome to the show. Hello. Um, First of all, I want to say right out of the gate what a big fan I am of your writing, your blog, which can be found, I think, at the pokerbaffer.com, is that right?
2: Nailed it, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's genuinely one of the funniest things out there in terms of poker blogs. (laughs) Uh, I think one of its strengths, aside from the humour, is that uh, it just comes across very honest and it comes from a very, I think, fair place as well. You've been both a player and an industry professional. Uh, How much do you think your writing has been enriched by seeing the game from both sides?
2: Um, well, it's hard to say because sometimes I, I think like a player um, and sometimes I still think like a tournament director. So I, I think it's probably been influenced by both sides from the start. I don't think if I would never played poker, I don't think I'd have as much opinion on it. And if I'd never been a TD, I don't think I'd be, I, I wouldn't find that element of balance sometimes, you know, because um, it's it's easier, I think, as a TD to detach from the game. Like when you're actually playing and you have a dispute or you're involved or your money's involved, it's a lot harder to separate yourself emotionally from the game. Whereas when you're on the the organizational side, you don't have that same um, emotional attachment. It's more of a business thing. So I think it's probably both sides uh, inform equally, really.
1: Uh, Kat, we hung out quite a bit at the Unibest Bucharest Festival last year. You played the ladies' battle royale sit and go during that trip. What was that yeah. experience like and what do you think of ladies-only events?
2: Always. Oh, that's a bit of a hot topic at the moment, isn't it? I mean, I loved that event. That was just super fun. We were all drinking, um, having, having just a really big and laugh.
0: You were drinking a lot.
2: Well, A lot, really. <laughs> an Irishman telling me that was a lot. We, we had like three glasses of wine. It was very respectable. Um, I, I still maintain that, that Dave is a really bad influence, actually. She she definitely <laughs> started me off on, on the drinking. So, I mean, that was super fun. That was kind of an invitational event. Um, there's a lot of controversy at the moment about ladies' events and that it's, um, you know, it's, it's gender biased to kind of have an event that men can't enter. So I'm a little bit ambivalent. On one side, I sort of see that. I don't think, you know, as a gender egalitarian, I don't think there should be events where someone is... Um, not allowed to enter because of their gender. That doesn't sit very comfortably with me. That said, I think the female market for poker is a huge untapped market. And for the good of poker, we should be finding any route possible to get more women to come into live poker rooms. And if that means that men have to just get out of a few events and let let the girls have a little bit of space, then I'm kind of on board with it. But it doesn't seem to be having huge success. I mean, the, the ladies' events that I've sort of... Seen or witnessed, they tend to be filled up with women who are already comfortable going into the environment. I'm not sure how successful they are at actually bringing in new, new boobs.
0: Sure, so, new, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> new boobs. <laughs> well, do, do you not think maybe since uh, this year has been dominated by female performances, <laughs> in Maine, maybe we should have men-only events?
2: Very possibly, but I would absolutely I would gay crush a man-only event with a fake Tosh and just say oh, <laughs> this is this is not gender egalitarian, you can't keep me out of this event. So yeah, I probably wouldn't wouldn't support men-only events. I think there's plenty of men who are comfortable. That's not to say all men. Like I think there's definitely an untapped market of, of men who are not so comfortable in these um sort of situations that could probably be brought into poker. I just think women, it would seem more obvious to address the imbalance of only 5% of fields, be live poker fields, being made up by women. But they are smashing it at the moment. I think that's the best um, way to get women in, when we can all constantly share on social media uh, winners' photographs of women, you know, especially recently the party poker with, with a huge prize that, that ended up in, in a lady's pocket, as it were. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, one thing I also wonder about the ladies' events is like obviously from the point of view of an online site trying to get ladies into the game, it, it's it's nice to have a ladies' event and ha- have ladies play it. But I guess the question is, does it translate then to ladies playing more online? I know Diva set up a ladies-only group uh, on Unibat and it's, and she's actually attracted quite a few people in that way. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that's a better route to try and get ladies playing online, or do you actually think the ladies' events help?
2: Um, I- think that trying to get women to play online is definitely a good start i mean i've had uh, great success in getting some female friends to play online they're obviously far less intimidated there's a much higher percentage of online players that actually are female i think that's closer to about 15 or 18 percent of people who play online are actually women Mm. um so i do think using the online tool is is definitely a good start i think i think possibly as well so online poker does tend to fit around lifestyle a little better like so often women are the primary carers to infants and uh, you you can't really strap your baby on your back and go and play a poker tournament for 14 hours two days in a row but you can kind of stay at home in your pyjamas and and have the kids with you and miss a couple of hands online and, and make it work So I think there's practical considerations aside from just, you know, I don't think it's all about women are terrified of male dominated environments. I think that's categorically proven incorrect. There's just a lot of different factors forming, uh, making it harder.
0: That's a really good point. Speaking as a a now a a bit of a house husband and I'm certainly now with the new baby thinking about not travelling quite as much next year, I do think playing online is still something I can do you know, okay if I have to do a night feed I might have to sit out a few hands but I could still sort of you know, flick in the the three hour or four hour long MTTs. Yeah, Yeah, you
2: can't really sort of take Hunter down to the the casino and be be bottle feeding him at the table and I mean I suppose...
0: I I would if they'd let me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there should be like a baby passport to casinos, I guess. <laughs> that, would, that would probably make life a bit easier if there was like a crash, you know, the same as in any... Oh, great idea. I, you know, yeah. As, 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 as male poker players become house husbands like you, David, we might see changes. Exactly.
1: Yeah, anyone who's watched David's uh, on Twitch knows that it's possible to uh, to combine online and Twitch and baby minding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hunter's going to be a star on Twitch
0: soon.
2: Brilliant. Well, when he starts just outplaying you, I think that will definitely rag in the followers. When at four years old, he's giving you mm-hmm. advice on dodgy three bets or yeah. whatever.
0: I think well, we're working out nursery really rhymes that feature all the Nash equilibrium tables and stuff at the moment. He's <laughs> up to M of four.
2: Brilliant.
0: <laughs> um, you were talking about hot topics in poker. Another hot topic which you 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 never uh, shy away from uh, in your blog. Your most recent one, I think it is as well, is. Um, how poker is, I suppose, marketed to people? And Poker Night in America, obviously one of the big shows these days. Um, they did put on a cash game there a few weeks back with Brandon <laughs> Cantu and Salman Ponte, or hashtag king as he was known. You certainly didn't shy away from, you know, putting your two cents there.
2: <laughs> yes, I have to be careful what words I use on your esteemed uh, podcast here. But yeah, I mean, it just it, I, I found the whole thing... Horrifying. I really did. I watched I didn't even watch the entire stream because I just couldn't. Um and I, I find that whole approach very it makes me nervous. So one of the things I sort of identified in the blog that when this kind of style of television, you know, this is cheap to produce car crash or reality TV approach of just getting people in front of a camera and allowing them to be make make a spectacle of themselves. That, that format of television was born of desperation. It was the networks being desperate because their writers were on strike. That's right. And how can we keep making money without these skilled people to produce quality content? And they found a loophole. And it makes me nervous that the poker television has to go that way.
0: Yeah, Darren, I... Desperate? yeah no I told you Darren I interviewed uh, Todd Anderson there in our very first show of this season uh-huh. and uh, and Darren made the point to him as well of that how uncomfortable he was with the way the show had been presented with the uh, the grudge match if you like between Kate Hall and Mike Dentale and Todd sort of assured us in that show that that was the kind of content he wasn't keen on personally yet here we go again another show has come out that has absolutely gone for that gutter end of the market
1: yeah I, uh-huh. like, I personally feel there's a kind of survivor bias uh, the, the way a lot of people look at the way poker is marketed they think back to the early days when it was all like loud mouths uh, arguing with each other and basically being douchebags, and that, that was entertaining TV, and that's what made poker. But but then they don't necessarily see the, the 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 effect that that might have had on the people who are not playing poker. You know, there's far more people who don't play poker, and particularly the gender uh, imbalance. That could that could be down to like women looking at this, going like, okay, this is just a bunch of douchebags being horrible to each other. Why would we yeah. want to get involved?
2: Absolutely, I mean, I think the two, the, the main point for me about it in the past was also the poker wasn't great, so there was a lot of gamble, and, and what these characters would kind of flare up at each other about was actual activity with the cards, you know, there'd be some crazy call with top pair, and some guy would have a set, and, and these days the money wouldn't go in now, people are too GTO, there'd be too much thinking of ranges. the hands will get passed, so to create the drama, it now has to come from this personal level, so we're getting... Yeah. Bite back to, oh, you lent me money, I lent you money, you owe me money, your wife's a, insert horrible absurdity. you know, I mean, this this is not how it was 10, 12 years ago. These guys did flare up at each other, but it all seems to be focused around poker. You know, it was, you're a terrible player, not your wife's a whore. You, you
0: can't. <laughs> that, that is not cool, you know. It's not cool at all. No, it like it absolutely isn't. Um, Kat, in numerous blogs over the years, you've espoused the virtues of card rooms that have a kind of a fun, low stake sort of philosophy. Mm. Um, you now work for Redbed, a company which is definitely oriented towards the same belief system. Did you find them or did they find you?
2: Um. I- do you know it's hard to say because I actually I have worked for them now for coming up 15 months um the first year was as freelancer they were they were part of my sort of freelance writing roster did a bit of social media for them a little bit of presenting uh went to their events and I just really like the brand like I initially took the work because when you're writing freelance like I will write about anything you know they they say write what you know I say Wikipedia and blag it frankly but, <laughs> you know, but uh, I took I, I took anything back then and I just happened to really like them as a company you know they paid me on time They were clear about what they wanted I enjoyed going to their live games so when the role came up it seemed like a comfortable a comfortable segue
0: well speaking of their live games I believe they have one coming up it's just around the corner
2: Yes, we do. We we are doing um, six events over the next 12 months um, at the Dragonara Casino in Malta, um, which is one of my favourites because of the aspect. I mean, you were with us a few weeks ago and, and you saw the card room. I mean, it's like nothing else. Um, I'm really looking. It's for-
0: not like a card room. It's like a uh, <laughs> you know fancy hotel room looking out over the ocean.
2: Yeah, it's a really cool kind of holiday place. And I think it's a place that's really conducive to poker with the non-serious environment. I mean, it's really hard to feel very serious about poker when you're sitting basically on a balcony with the sun streaming in and the roof open um and and, yeah i thought that might change change the environment a little bit you know It's, it's only a 200 euro game i'm looking to do a few satellites when our online uh site comes up i'm looking to do a few satellites for players from the uk because guys who are playing in the uk regularly they haven't seen a card room like that so it was more about the venue for me than the game you know the poker should just kind of be there let's get somewhere that's fun to drink and there's space to hang out on the balcony I and mean, you can even get a bit pissed and go down to the beach halfway through the game so you know.
0: absolutely and and there were two really good features to that tournament i really enjoyed it uh, the, the the last one you organized there was one you did a, a double chance sort of format so again for a recreational player they did they could hedge a bit they could just like play half their stack for the first few hours and make sure they didn't bust immediately which i think is a nice feature Um, And then the second one was that it was almost, like, too well-structured, in my view. Like, it was like you you gave people as good a structure as you would find in a 500 event or even a 1K event sometimes.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the ideal, because I've long been in the corner that just because people only play poker for low stakes... um, doesn't mean they they're not really serious about enjoying the game in its its best format.
0: Yeah, I think with the you know your Redbet events, the UniBet UK tour, and obviously all the other operators are starting to launch their sort of one hundred and fifty to three hundred quid tours recently. I think it, it's it's definitely a different market that you're you know aiming at.
2: Yeah, see well, One of my things, favorite things about the UniBet Open is that okay for me the eleven hundred euro in main events pretty high like that's at the top end of games i will try and satellite into as a micro low stakes player um but equally you turn up there and they've got a few 150 euro events knocking about um and suddenly that's like oh okay i can i can just about afford to buy into a 150 euro event direct when i'm on holiday you know it's holiday money so i think that that sort of mentality of yeah we do have this sort of primary game your main event but then on the side you've got these really affordable events so that was one of my favorite things about UniBet. i ended up playing three three tournaments in the week there as a micro stakes player that's that's pretty good
0: well you're very good we, we wanted you to come on the show and, and plug your own site and you've ended up plugging ours right at the end so i think
2: get... <laughs> <Well, laughs> well, i mean you know I'm, I'm sort of i'm not a big fan of competing with other poker brands all, all the poker brands that are going to survive To me, there's an element of having to think of each other and work a little bit together, work around each other. Because 10 years ago, there was so much money flying into the game that you could open five new poker brands a week online and live and probably make some sort of income off that. And now we're we're competing against golf, cinema, bowling alleys. So, to me, there's got to be an element of rally. And if another brand does something well, like Unibet consistently do, like Party Povey did with the Millions event, you know, I think you have to stand up and clap your hands and say, you nailed that, guys. Well done.
0: Yeah, here, here, I agree with that totally. Yeah, totally, yeah. Well, on that moment of mutual appreciation and agreement, I want to say thank you so much, Kat, for joining us today. Cool.
3: It's time for Ian Simpson with the news. Hello, everyone. I'm here in Glasgow for the Unibet UK Tour. we have got the news for you this week. Uh, let's start off with Karel Liepik's result. Uh, he managed to stage a huge comeback heads up. I think at one point he had 9 big blinds and he came back to win the Unibet Open in Copenhagen for just under 76,000 euros. Uh, Sigurd Carlsen bagged 2nd place in that event for 49,000 euros, while former Unibet Open champ Peter Hawks managed a 3rd place finish for 34,000 euros. I'd like to make a special note of a great performance from Monica Wacke who I thought might just be the first female Unibet Open champion but unfortunately the deck wasn't kind. Uh, It saw her kings run into aces to cripple her stack. She did manage a 7th place finish for almost €12,000. The PokerStars Championship in Soki had a guaranteed prize pool of 150 million rubles or $2.6 million. Now this required 500 players to meet, but only 387 players entered. Uh, these players would have been happy to see an overlay of half a million dollars. Uh, I still don't think it would have been worth playing if they still made those unfortunate 387 players play ten-handed though. Online. Uh, unsurprisingly, it was pretty still weak online after a huge fortnight on the virtual felt, uh, and so many either prepping or already making their way to Las Vegas for the World Series. Um, it was a particularly slow week for the Irish grinders after a huge scoop that included some big results. Uh, specifically, Tom Galazunas won the event 11 medium for $31,000. Dan Rankin won the event 12 medium for $77,000. But the biggest story was Toby Joyce, he won the event 11 high, a PLO $530 rebuy for $88,000 a result which takes him to the top of the Irish rankings as he leapfrogs James Noonan.
0: Well, first things first, Ian, what a phenomenal festival we've just come from in Copenhagen. Unibet uh, will be going to Bucharest in December, but before then in September, there will be a Unibet Open Special Edition in a thus far unconfirmed location. (laughs) I, I may have let the cat out of the bag on live stream during the week about that location. Uh, so please, please don't go back and check the tape to find out where we may or may not be going.
3: I'm saying nothing. I'm saying nothing.
0: Uh, Rumours have circulated where it might be held, and I can't say more at this time, but it's fair to say that it's going to be pretty special. Unibet will be running 250 quid satellites, this 3K package event on the client all through the summer. Um, Ian, you also mentioned Sochi there. Well, just, ugh, I have no words. Just wow there hasn't been anything like a half million euro overlay in the industry for some time and while that's often a good thing for a site to promote to push that they were i don't know being aspirational or you know that the guarantee shows their ambitions it's obviously uh, the the best thing a site can do when they've taken a hit such as that this really does feel like an operator on the way down rather than on the way up would you agree uh
3: yes short answer uh, half a million overlay like that uh, it's just, it's just crazy.
0: You all made a joke about 10 handed poker and obviously poker stars have implemented some changes over the last few years, which have not been popular. Certainly seems now that people are voting with their feet. You mentioned uh, at the top that we're gearing up for a Unibet UK tour, Glasgow event. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. I've actually never played poker in Glasgow before. Uh, do you have any uh i don't know highlights of glasgow you must you must be familiar with the
3: city you you live not too far away uh i'm not familiar with the city actually i've been there once for a concert but it was literally to the event and then back so i didn't see any of the city so i'm looking forward to exploring somewhere new yeah we'll have to go deep fry something while we're there yeah that is the tradition right mars bars right
0: This week in Strategy Corner, I wanted to talk a little bit about set mining. Now, when I started out in poker probably 2007, uh, set mining was a big part of your overall game plan because people played such tight ranges and generally when you called say maybe 100 big blinds deep, 50 big blinds deep even, you were likely to stack a guy if he opened an early position because he was probably opening a super premium range in that spot. Uh, These days people are much more balanced with their opening ranges, they much more understand how wide they need to be and I think you know, set mining as an idea has sort of gone out of fashion. Uh, it's fair to say people will routinely fold small pairs in early position now they won't call with small to medium pairs in late position uh, to you know even an early enough position opener particularly if he's a loose guy because if he's a loose guy he's probably going to play super balanced post flop and not necessarily spew off all those chips uh, when he doesn't flop an awful lot so I guess I have Dara here with me and I want to just run through almost like a checklist of when it's good to set mine and what are the good set mining situations.
1: Yeah, if we think about what we're we're looking for in a good set mining situation, um, we need implied odds, which means we need to win more than is in the pot currently. If we hit our set and we just win what's in the pot, it's not going to be enough because we're only going to hit our set um, 15% of the time. So we need a a pretty good payoff when, when we do hit it. So we need more money. Um, so if you think about the types of players you want to be up I mean pretty much the ideal situation is if somebody with a strong range uh, somebody say a very tight player in early position who only opens big cards and big pairs uh, they open Um, and if that player is particularly stationary or maybe too aggro post-flop um, then there's a good chance they're going to shovel more chips into the pot. Say we call with pocket fives and, and the board comes 10-5 deuce and they've got an over pair to the board. You want somebody who's not going to be able to get away from the hand at that point. So that's typically either somebody who's over aggro, who's just going to keep betting the whole way, or somebody who's too much of a station.
0: Is it fair to say that you probably need to get uh, two streets of value minimum here in this spot or a good check raise in? For example,
1: yeah, you, you yeah, you absolutely do. If you think about the fact that you you want the money that you put in pre flop to be only about ten percent of, of of the total money that you win from the pot by the end, um, so you, you you're going to need probably three streets actually to get or or, or three bets at least to check raise on one street. Um, the other thing about it is, the more opponents you're up against, the more likely you are to get paid um, because. If you're just up against one opponent and they miss the board, um, you're probably not going to get the two or three streets that you need. But if you're up against four or five opponents, there's, there's a much better chance somebody hits a decent draw or top pair.
0: Good point. Um, and is there any other criterion by which you would like to choose? You know, your set mining spots. Obviously, in the big blind, you're getting a very good price there, so maybe you're getting more immediate odds to the pot. That's a great spot to call with any pair. Obviously, it's just when you have to call a two point two x or something like that. There's not many spots where that isn't a call. In fact, um, but you know, I guess we we're talking about the spots where you're voluntarily putting money in the pot when you haven't.
1: Yeah. Well, if you think about the fact that you you, you always want to win at least ten times the uh, amount of money that you put in pre So if it's only costing you one big blind to call. Um, in because you're in the big blind with a small pair then that's a good sp- situation because you only need to win a 10 big blind pot and presumably the pot's already five or six big blinds pre-flop so you don't need to get too much more in but if you're in late position against an early position opener and the blinds are likely to fold uh, then you're going to have to get much more so and there's another obvious limiting factor to how much you can win too, which is this, the smallest effect, the smallest stack, what's known as the effective stack. If you if you have, you know, twenty big blinds, or the the open only has twenty big blinds, then you can't win more than twenty big blinds anyway. Um, so you, you 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 want really deep stacks. Um, otherwise, instead of set mining, you could end up set fracking, where you actually can't get the proper payoff
0: yeah and I think that's still something you'll see recreational players do um, they'll make that mistake where they just see a hand like pocket sixes like pocket fives not that there aren't certain very specific boards that you can not board mine with those hands but most of the time when you're in there with a hand like threes or fives or sixes you really do need to hit your set to get paid off and you will see a lot of you know weaker players call with that hand because they just don't feel like they can fold a pair even though the guys opened off like say 16 big blinds and they, and they just think oh well I have a pair so I have to see what happens
1: yeah absolutely Absolutely, and if you think about set mining in tournaments specifically, in, in deep set cash game, set mining is, is pretty much always good. But in a in a tournament, it tends to be much better early on than than late on for a number of reasons. Some some of which we touched on already. People tend to be playing tighter ranges earlier in tournaments anyway, but also the, and also the stacks are much deeper. But another factor is that um, later on, ICM is a factor. So if you're constantly putting in one or two big blinds, um, it's harder to get people to put chips into the pot after uh, if, if they miss because of, of the ICM um, but it also means that you can just gradually bleed out of the tournament by, n- by not not hitting your set
0: yeah really good points there Dara I think it's still obviously uh, a situation in poker that comes up from time to time where you do get those perfect set mining spots um, maybe you open and a guy 3 bets and you know he's a tight player and you're playing 200 deep and you think this is great he's probably got aces or kings if I do hit my 7 with my pocket 7s I might get the lot um, but you know much more often than not these days players much more balanced much less likely to give you those three streets as you described and uh, and when they're not willing to do it you shouldn't be in there with those small pairs quite as often and another thing a final uh
1: caveat on, on sets on small pairs is remember that you will get set oversetted sometimes if if the guy starts with a bigger pair than you do when you hit your set he's going to hit his set um, 15% of the time as well um, and that's presumably going to be the end of your tournament uh, That that's a much bigger factor in PLO I mean I think most uh, good PLO players know that you don't play you know double paired hands where the two pairs are are, are small because uh, you're just asking for trouble <laughs> you're asking to be set you're, you're asking to be set over seted, yeah
0: We are joined now by uh, probably one of the best players in all of Great Britain, Uh, almost 3.5 million in live winnings, 2.75 in online winnings, 17th on the GPI currently, Neil Farrell of Scotland. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I want to say, first and foremost, uh, just in case any of our listeners are not uh, aware, because maybe they won't have seen the Twitter storm I've created, but uh, Neil did big-time us for at least an hour today before he showed (laughs) up. Uh, He's he's claiming he was on the piss last night and and just slept it out. I'm not sure. Maybe he fancied it was going to be a hostile interview. was trying to dodge us.
4: Yeah, I I was going for my kind of Theresa May thing where I just don't take questions. But, you know, you guys got me (laughs) in the end, so um first of all congratulations I saw on Facebook recently that you just bought yourself a house that's right yeah just uh back in my my hometown of Dumfries so pretty happy at that quite exciting
0: do you not worry though Neil that the decision such as that really badly hurts your personal brand as a lovable carefree Scottish maniac
4: yeah that was like one of the main the main like negatives against buying a house the other thing is I can't actually gamble bits of the house or, so like there was a couple of like definitely like big marks in the con category
0: maybe you could maybe
4: maybe you could stick like your
0: conservatory on the table at some point or like the garage
4: yeah i mean i think it's like you know eventually i mean i think it doesn't count as being grown up if you eventually put the house in a pot so so, (laughs) it's it's kind of swings and roundabouts on that i think
1: it seems like that's the new bankroll measure in poker now like how many houses somebody has bought or sold or um, I, I, I think I remember Neil Channing telling me about some uh, famous uh, UK player who I won't name, but he said that he had his uh, his bankroll in van form at one stage, and as he as, as he ran through money at the poker table, he'd sell another van. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem now it's moved on to houses. Everybody's talking about how many houses they bought. Um, so it's like, is this is this the first of many houses, or is this is this just like the only house you're ever going to buy?
4: I don't know, like, I think this, like, actually, I got quite a nice one. It was, like, it's too big for, for just me, but the idea is it was like, it's pretty near to family. It's literally just around the corner from my sister's house. Um, so it's, like, the times that I'm home, it's, like, good to be near family and stuff because I'm not really, I mean, I travel a lot to play poker, obviously. Um, it's, like, the risk of uh, further damaging my street cred, like, I it's, like, the second house I bought, I actually bought my mom's house, like, six months ago. Um... So I'm a big mommy's boy, basically. Um, Here we go. Two,
1: two houses, no less. And, and I, I think I remember you telling me once that you, you, you were you were maybe the second most famous person in Dumfries. So is your house anywhere near the most famous person's? Uh, Who's Calvin Harris? It's
4: actually, Calvin it's actually, well, it's actually the other side of Dumfries because he's, um, he's in the, he was in the bad area. You'd be very surprised to hear he doesn't actually live there anymore. Um, he and he, neither did his parents he's like the the, the main thing I was loving was like, oh yeah it's, um, his parents still live in them but now they live in some like massive mansion in like London somewhere obviously I was like oh yeah that's a surprising ton of events but uh, yeah so I'm I think I probably am the most famous person now like just by default so it's pretty cool and well, is your fame
0: come from uh, does it come from your poker exploits these days or does it still come from the fact that you used to be a footballer
1: yeah, like I remember when I met, when I met Neil, uh, I, I I had some vague memory that you were you you were at Celtic or something, and no, then no, you no, just no. didn't grow enough or something, or maybe you drank too much.
0: <laughs>
4: drank too much. <laughs> I'm not sure. The last two parts that I've tried, I was never at Celtic. I was never that high a level. I was pretty pretty high, but never like I was too bad for the low level that I was at. So it's kind of like the least. The least braggy conversation ever, but yeah, I used to play it pretty decently. I did get paid to play, but it was never like I mean, Christ, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even, I'm barely allowed to watch Celtic. Never mind like play for them. So, but you were a professional footballer, yeah, um, for like close to a year or so, um, like when I was 17. But it's quite a surprise to people now because I don't, th- I think since I played poker, I've never been anywhere near to what could be described as athletic shape.
0: I remember, uh, <laughs> I, I watched you have a kickabout on the beach in Barcelona with Jay Cody there a couple of years ago. I thought, wow, he's definitely still got something.
4: Hey, mate, you don't lose it. You know, some, the, the, the brain's still there. And, you know, it's like, and if someone could, you know, if I could just stand on the penalty spot and people could just, like, get me the ball, like, I could probably be all right. But, you know, it's it's the whole moving part I'm struggling with nowadays. Like, that's quite tough. So makes it a bit... Uh, this modern football where people have to be quite fit like nah i'm not it's not for me you know yeah i th- I, th-
1: I think after the after the football you you uh, you did something else which people might i guess find surprising uh you studied law in college um <laughs> how, how did that <laughs> how how did that happen and how did it lead to poker
4: um yeah it was like a lot of people probably were very surprised like i was just like shocking when I was like a straight pretty much a straight a student um and I, I, I kind of just fell into law the same way that I've fallen into everything in my life. Like I didn't, I didn't check, I didn't work out what courses I wanted to do. I didn't even look at the university I went to. I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'll do law. And then I was like, oh, still in uni? He's so like, okay, I'll do that. And I just kind of turned up on the first day. I remember uh, my dad actually dropped me off, and he says, all right, son, well, see you when you've got a degree, and just drove to, drove home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Close but, family. Uh, Nah, he was like he was joking, like we were pretty close but he was uh yeah, he was just that was me, I was just there and uh yeah, I did a lot stolen and near the end of it I started to get into I'd always like quite enjoyed like watching poker. I used to watch late like, like I think it's probably quite a common thing amongst the UK players, is uh used to watch late night poker with like devil fish and Helmuth and everything. And used to really enjoy that and then we used to play amongst friends at uni when We were too basically when we were too skint to go out. We'd just sit and play, and like we'd have like we'd put the office on TV and just play a few game of cards or whatever. And then near the end of my last year um, at uni, my uh, my girlfriend at the time, she for my birthday got me a year's subscription to some po- uh, to a poker training site or something it was uh, called poker ponage back in the day i don't know if anyone remembers this um and i just got got more serious after that like started talking to people on the forums and stuff and then saved up eventually for one lesson and that was it basically it was uh it was all downhill from there <laughs>
0: <laughs> well Neil In researching for this interview Because I'm, I'm a thorough researcher If nothing else uh, I did spot a fantastically written piece In the Daily Record uh, Where you admitted that A love of gambling Drew you to poker But almost bankrupted you During your student days I, th- I think there was one bet Involving uh, maybe a Scottish club Do you want to tell us about that one?
4: Yeah fuck I'm still bitter about this Fucking Aberdeen <laughs> We got, I still remember, so I like, I think it's a kind of cultural thing, it's probably, I, I dare say it might be the same thing in Ireland, but you are exposed to, to gambling at a very young age in Scotland, um, and yeah, I fucking got my student loan in for the month, and Bayern Munich were 2-1 uh, on to beat Aberdeen, and I was like, well, if I just put my whole student loan on, then I'll have an extra 50% student loan this month. So that seems like a good seems like a good deal for me. Uh, so yeah, I did it, and Aberdeen just put in the absolute performance of a lifetime. And this is this is the game that led me to absolutely hating Luca Toni. Um, <laughs> just watching that smug git just not give a fuck about being offside all game just made me. I wanted to drive to Italy and just like visit him personally. Um, but yeah, Aberdeen. I think it was either two all or three all, and. Uh, I was living in, like, was three, four guys in our house, and uh, my friend Mike, he was from, like, that area, so, like, and I told them, like, yeah, we we re- like, let's be honest, Aberdeen are not winning this tie, we could really do with them just losing this game, so I have a lot of money rather than just no money for the month, and, um, yeah, <laughs> they, they got, like, the most famous, one of the most famous results in their history, they drew at home. And I was just like, oh, wow, well, I just get to eat fucking super noodle sandwiches for the rest of the month. That's wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, and he was just celebrating. I was like, well, there's no point. They just lost 6-0 in fucking Germany in the, the next Germany. week or whatever. <laughs> I was like, obviously, like, just couldn't, I was just so, so tilted. I just couldn't, couldn't breathe on this situation at all. But uh, if anything, it, it taught me a lesson. And, and I didn't gamble again until, you know, I had money next month. So. so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah Uh, your live results were pretty modest until april 2012 and then in the space of six days you won an irish open side event for 33k and you were third in UK IPT nottingham high roller for 21k how significant were those two results to you at the time
4: um in terms like they were significant it was like the first time i'd actually won money playing live but uh i was pretty lucky that the week before the irish open i actually won f top's main event for like quarter mil which was like pretty handy obviously but uh it was like in terms of like i think every online player goes through this like well they used to anyway maybe not so much now but they used to be, like even people like the gr- absolute online greats like moorman and stuff like there used to be a thing about yeah it's like just stick to online mate you can't win live and uh that's basically how it used to be like i just played a year where i was just you'd you have this thing you want to sit down and play every pot live and you just i was just out of every tournament just so fast um so like actually winning a live tournament and then going deep in the next one its like okay maybe this live thing might be kind of might be turning a corner here where i can actually win some money at it but uh yeah it was pretty pretty good
1: and like did you feel that you had to readjust to playing live that you were you were maybe playing too many hands or whatever or was it just variance
4: no it was definitely the first one like i think at the time i was saying it was variants but i was just playing really shit like it's like you, you you i would play in like a different way from like you'd sit down at a live tournament and you'd be like oh wow like king three off and the cough better raise and you just never do that online but some for some yeah. reason you would when you're live you're like oh fuck i haven't played a hand in like eight minutes better play one like and it's just just playing really like poorly like and i'm, I'm pretty fortunate now that like I actually, pref- I think I'm probably better at live poker now than I am at online poker, because, you know, getting old and stuff.
0: It was a UKIPT Isle of Man in, I think it was a 2013. We met for the first time at a, in the cup I think we played, and you pretty much, like, I, I don't want to, uh, well maybe this gives you back some of your street cred, but you play the entire day one locked. And uh, and bossed everyone around. You ended up the, finishing the day with the uh, the biggest stack, and then just decided not to. A bit a bit like this morning, actually, just decided not to show up for day two for about an hour.
4: Yeah, that was a uh, that was actually yeah that that was pretty accurate. I got I, I was really drunk and uh, and I was really hungover on day two. But then the only way to not be hungover is to drink more. So unfortunately, like we got to the final table and it was like I don't know if you know like Dominic Morley and Richie P and. Uh, Ricky uh, Glaswegian Ricky as well, so like the final table was just full of like people that I'd quite happily drink in the pub with, so it was like we all just started drinking, and it was just such a fun like final table.
1: Yeah, I, I think that was actually the same uh, UKBT that I played with you for the first time probably as well live um, in the main event.
4: I remember uh, that actually, yeah, I do, because yeah. I was, like, I just I remember messaging you going, I didn't know that was you. Like I was just, like I just uh, I was doing I was doing a lot of my let's try and you know. Make this older gentleman fold a hand, <laughs> yeah. and then afterwards it's like, "Oh, that's Dar." I was like, "Oh, fuck! I wish I had like, I wish I had those hands back," you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, look, the one thing that is going to become a common theme throughout the rest of this interview is that you you are and you have been just so ridiculously consistent. There's been no—I I don't think there's been a single dry spell in uh, in 2013. You went out to the World Series, cash five times, including uh, second in Event 44 for 366k that's a pretty that was a pretty
4: sexy result yeah it was good although i mean it's i still don't have a bracelet and i had the guy i had like such a mad i did, i started that heads up with an 11 to 1 chip lead and oh i had i had that guy in night there eight times all in for the bracelet and he just won all eight times so i was like can this be what's happening um, <laughs> He was actually a nice he's a super nice guy a good player as well and then he ended up winning that one but i was just like I just couldn't believe that i hadn't won like i was like obviously i was super happy at the score and stuff but i was like i didn't i didn't chop either and i didn't i mean at that point my role was such that i should have been chopping but i was like i'd all like it was one of those where i'd like 11 to 1 heads up i was like i'd already mentally won first prize which is quite dangerous so i didn't want to chop and then it was like fuck yeah <laughs> i just got beat but yeah and i was i was that was like a pretty big score for me at the time
1: um, I, can't, I can't remember what year it was, but it, but I remember uh, railing a, an F-Tops final table as well, because um, actually my friend um, Espen Sorley Shawshank was uh, was on that final table, um, oh, yeah, and, and, and you were there as well. Yeah, it was that Sunday when um, Espen had that amazing, I think he chopped the F-Tops and the Sunday Million on the same day. Um, like When you think back to your big uh, online final tables, do you have the same kind of strong memories about them
4: as the live events? Uh, yeah actually i do um especially because like my kind of big like most of my big online finals were before that before i'd done anything live so they were like the kind of first big finals like i can still remember my absolute first um m- my first ever big final was um it's a 1k mu- I remember if you remember multi entries on full tilt back in the day was it was well, 1k yeah yeah, from, yeah fucking hell christ i'd like hate to be a backer back in those days it's like yeah you just what you lost 22k on a wednesday it's like yeah you know these things happen but uh, <laughs> but uh yeah i finally went 1k multi-entry f-tops and this is my average band at the time it was like 40 dollars just uh my backer had actually phoned me at the start of the tournament he's like let's take a little shot today and i was like oh cool do you want, like, maybe play a little like play a little 300 f-tops or something he's like yeah let's do four entries in the f-tops 1k and uh I was like, I mean, get, being the kind of person I I was like, all right, fuck it, let's do it. And uh, got to the final table. I mean, I think my net worth at that point was maybe around about four k. And uh, first was first first was half a mil. And I was just like, what the fuck? I, I go in three of nine, and this was when this was before ICM was a thing. Like I was just like, all right, and then I I just instantly get ninth, and I was like wow oh, this is just i just hate this game so much but i, I still remember like i was what i was actually at, um, a friend of mine's uh cattle zevs back in the day like he was backed by the same guy he's like an old school grinder i don't know if anyone knows him but i was at his house and i had to go back to glasgow the next day and i was at the final table googling how much a helicopter would be home so i didn't have to get so i didn't have to get the train <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I think karma just busted me ninth at that point. <laughs> but was, I still remember it was pretty funny. I mean, it was not funny at the time, but looking back, it was pretty funny.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you brought that up. I, I railed you recently on the the final table of the Party Poker Millions in uh, North America, um, and it was a pretty tough final table, it's fair to say. But it did seem to me that you were at least like factoring in ICM to some degree.
4: Yeah. yeah. That's a really good example yeah. because like the way it was set the table was set up in my seat like I like the like the final table was good like pretty much just good players um but even then like I was getting I mean I managed to like, I went from like what was like eight of no seven of eight or six of eight and I managed to put myself in a position where like I basically got three outed for what would have been like for I would have had double second place but it was like yeah that if people were playing like even in that spot if that was like an online tournament like i think i just wouldn't have been able to open the hands that i was opening and stuff like i think i would have just been put like put in my place basically but like the fact like in my seat and being six of eight like it- i should have had to have got like really lucky to be able to have a shot at that and that just kind of wasn't the case at all and i think it's a good example of like people don't play like as aggressively at big finals as they should so it's quite an that's quite an interesting like example actually I think of that, that.
1: And you mentioned your you mentioned getting three out of there. Your 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 exit was pretty brutal um, because uh, I I can't remember the exact details. But basically, you had been limping from the small blind quite a lot into into the chip leader's big blind, um, maybe a, maybe your entire range. And you limped with kings uh, as you should obviously if you're limping all the all the weak hands. And then I think he just he just ripped for how, how many bigs effective was it? Forty. For really that much, okay. With yeah. <laughs> with his with jack, and obviously you snap with the kings. Um, and I think if you he he went on to win the tournament. Obviously, I think if you if you had held, you you were you were going on to win the tournament. Um, first of all, like what did you feel about his shove? Um, and it, like secondly, how much did it hurt? Obviously, to lose that enormous hand.
4: I think like yeah, he's like. I think like the idea of like I know what he was trying to do like I, I know um, he's hopes ace on online. he's run at once pro he's um, a good player he's a very good tournament player I think like that's not the optimal way to play I understand what he's trying to do which is um, like I mean my calling range is just so tight there he'd already shoved like 35 bigs on me when I I lived with ace 7 off and I had to, I, obviously I had to fold um, yeah. I think I don't like I understand what he's trying to do like I do have to call off super tight but like i was like i had adjusted at that point and, like i was just i was limping a lot less um i mean it's, re- it's a pretty easy game plan for me to to adjust to which is what happened um but i mean yeah i mean just like you know i mean it was quite a large equity beat but i mean i have i mean i've definitely put those on people before so
0: speaking of the times when you were on the good side of that variance uh the very first week I moved to Malta, I've been living here for a couple of years now, was October 2015. And of course, that was the week you managed to take down the Malta EPT for 534k. Not a bad score. Yeah, it was, it was a good week. Did you feel like uh, that week you had run above expectation, put those beats on other people, or was it just a much more consistent journey?
4: Well, I mean, I feel like I'm bound to see. No, that was just outplaying people now, you know. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no um, I mean... That one actually I didn't like um there wasn't like any like massive suck outs but like I ran so good in other ways, like I just Oh no, apart from the nine ten. Nine ten suited hand, which is quite famous where I punted it off and got there against Queens for quite a lot. But uh, apart from that there was no like major suckouts but it was. I was just like like you there's so many like kinda of, like hidden run goods ways, like I would just like get it in for twenty bigs. I'd have ace queen the guy'd have ace jack instead of fives you know just stuff like that happened a lot where you would be normally just like you could easily be flipping or beat but you just had the guy pipped and stuff so you had I had that happen a lot and, uh, and I think like overall apart from that 9, 10, 30, 10 where I got way out of land I, I was like really happy really happy with how I played and the final table in particular like I had a game plan and it helped that I mean I did get a lot of good cards at the final table which makes it a lot easier but uh, like i think like the final table i played really well um so i was pretty proud of that even though like obviously to win, like i mean i think it's like it's hard to cause, like to win any tournament like the nature of winning a tournament is you must have you must have been lucky because you can't win a sure. tournament without being lucky
0: um, yeah, but but then again, as I said earlier, the consistency spe- speaks for itself, and if I'm to run through just a, a handful of your other results, April 2016, second in FPS Monte Carlo for 128 grand, June 2016, second in WSOP Shootout for 163 grand, July 2016, eighth in the one drop, that was a huge one, that's probably the biggest buy-in you've played. Uh, for 486k and I think you were a bit handcuffed on that one and then you eventually had 10s and you ran 10s into a bigger hand or something yeah it
4: was like uh, uh, that one drop final table was hilarious because it was like even to this day I think it's like a hierarchy of sunrunners so it's like you have me who's, I've ran so I've ran like an 8 out of 10 pure in my entire career and then it's like I'm up against Joe McKean who's like at least a 10 out of 10, he might be at 11 so it's like it is fitting that like I have 10s I have and he's like yeah i've got queens and then you've got fedor who wins who's, like not not content with being the best tournament player in the world he's also just the one that runs the best as well which isn't really fair for anyone else so it's like pretty tough combination to beat you know just the luckiest and best player um, <laughs> who then just wins it all and not only that not only that is fucking horse um it was all in as a flip to bust before me as well and just rivers and ace so like his horse finishes third as well so he just won like 75% of the prize pool himself it's like oh pretty, pretty nice few days for you mate but uh yeah. but uh yeah it was actually like look like it was pretty funny the way it worked but yeah that was actually really fun and um i'm actually I'm going to play it again this year um i was kind of on the fence because i've put a lot of money into the houses and and uh it's at the very start of the series this year. They've moved it because normally. Is it a milli normal, one this year or is it hundred k A hundred K. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I would try and play the milli. I think, but it's going to be like, it just the the world record for the smallest piece someone has of themselves would be in danger of being broken.
0: <laughs> Before we go, Neil, I want to ask you, you. You won the WPT Punta Cana Caribbean tournament for three hundred thirty-five grand there uh, about a year ago or maybe less. Uh, which made you of course a two tour champion uh making maybe it all the more bitter that you lost that heads up because you would be one of the uh, the few triple crown winners out there how big a feather in your cap was it to kind of bink something on a second tour
4: um I, it was really good for me I, I i have i have got designs on the triple crown like that is something i'm going for um and i'll i'll, I'll put it on record right now that i will do it this year um i, I will win a bracelet in vegas this year um the main one is, to be honest, is because the World Series of Europe's in Rosvodov and I just don't want to go back to Rosvodov. <laughs> don't please don't send me back. <laughs> so the poker room is fantastic. Don't get me wrong; it's great if you just want to yeah. play poker, but it's not, as you probably have noticed, I, I kind of enjoy you know extracurricular activities a bit more than the poker normally. So. Yeah, I
1: remember hanging out with you actually WSCP Europe when it was in Berlin, um, and I think it's fair to say Berlin is one of the nicer places to. Yeah,
4: God, I love that time. city. It's so good, such a great city. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, like yeah, I've, I've some, yeah. I've some
1: very happy memories from then I, I, I think I actually won a drinking contest against you somehow.
4: Yeah, you did actually. I couldn't understand how that happened. Like I still. Yeah,
1: nobody, it. nobody believes this story. <laughs> Literally nobody, because I, 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 I'm shit at drinking, and everybody just assumes that you're really, really good at drinking. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean, I, are you I, saying he's not really good at drinking? Yeah, I mean, I am quite good at drinking as well. I don't understand how that did. I, I don't. I, I really. I remember that actually. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that was a very strange day.
1: Just an off day, maybe.
4: Before we let you go, Neil, uh, I just, I just
0: wanted to uh, recap on one thing. When you did the Scottish Poker podcast back in 2015, our good pal Willie Elliot kindly pointed out that you were two and a half million behind David Van Blue on the Hendon Mob, uh, Scotland. Uh, Charts that gap is now just 400k. Will Vampy be getting it up him in 2017 to borrow some Scottish
4: parlance? I, I fancy my chances. He's uh, he's not playing as much as he used to, which is making it a bit easier for me. He's all, he's all loved up and married now, he's not as much, he's not on the tour as often. And I am cheating just playing tournaments that have like 100k buy ins, like that is just cheating, really. But uh, yeah, I, 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 th- I think I'll get him, I think I'll catch him this year. Like he's not he unless he like he could he'll be out, I think he'll be out for the series and he tends to do very well at the series so that might be a little spanner in the works but um, if I was a gambling man I would uh, bet on bet on it me having it by this time next year at least
0: well there you have it the man who thought Aberdeen would get hammered <laughs> by uh, Bayern Munich says that you know you should put some money on him to overtake Vampy this year
4: <laughs> get the student loan on it.
0: Listen, thank you so much Neil Really, really good fun having you on the show
4: Uh, We really appreciate it Yeah, no problem guys, thanks very much, it was a lot of fun Definitely worth the (laughs) wait
0: Playing us out tonight is a track from Scottish Poker Pro slash DJ Robbie Bull, a.k.a. Robbie Toro From his album Sketchy Samples, enjoy
4: I'll get straight to the
3: point, I found marijuana in the house while I never thought of myself as the type of father who'd have to drug test his kids, I'm willing to do just that if that's what it takes to find out who brought a joint
4: into this house. Dad, Lucy found something, too. Dad, I found a joint in Mom's dresser drawer. Mm -hmm.
0: Arnsby and Neil Farrell. Next week we will have all the results from the Unibet UK Tour of Glasgow. We'll also turn our attention to the upcoming World Series of Poker with an interview with WSOP reporter Tatiana Pasinic and a follow-up chat with WSOP SAR Kevin Matters. In what will be an extra long bumper episode we will also be interrogating the man whose altercation with Griffin Benger lit up last year's main event coverage that can only be Prague High Roller champion William Nine High Like a Boss Kasouf. Until then, from Dara, Ian and myself good night and good luck we <laughs>